0: Welcome welcome traders. Today is Wednesday uh Wednesday 20th um October 20th. I'm your host Nick G, contributor and futures day trader here at Wall Street IO. And this is the Breakout Show. This is the opinion piece show on Wall Street IO bringing you our hot take on the world of trading from the water cooler uh talks that we have behind the scenes. Today, uh, we have our guest Jake Pelly joining us in here Jake uh, why don't you go ahead and say hey to everybody
1: well hey everybody
0: all right and in the chat room as well let us know if uh, if you can hear Jake if everything's coming through okay because this is uh, <laughs> Don saying he can hear the uh, barking dog barking in the background so I think I think our audio is coming through nice and clear here um, you know we've tried uh, we've tried we've tried having Jake on. A few times before and it always uh doesn't seem to work but um jake uh, apparently is able to uh to breathe out in fresno no fires <laughs> and i think it's i think he even has the luxury of of uh, uh uh sub 90 degree temperatures if i got that right
1: yeah the air is getting better and um it is 70 degrees right now which is really nice for fresno
0: yeah exactly exactly well jake uh Glad to finally have you on. I mean, we've been trying to set things up here. Um, oops, blah. <laughs> <laughs> trying, to f- trying to figure out all this uh, all this new software. We've been trying to have you on here for a while, um, but you know, between uh, kids and uh, between running a business, see, between trading, between uh, live streaming and all this content, I know that you you are a, a very busy guy, hard to get a hold of, um, which is just a shame because we both love conspiracy theories so uh, that's for uh, Harco. if Harco is out in the community right now uh he knows what we're talking about conspiracy theories uh china the fed macro all that stuff uh favorite guest host to have on here uh by a long shot <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love con- a good conspiracy theory sometimes yeah. they're true
0: too yeah sometimes every now and then uh you know they they do end up being being true or having a little bit of a a nugget of truth in them um you know last week uh we were talking about um, we're talking about China of course China there's a lot of interesting things going on in China Uh, but but today I just want to start off a little bit um with inflation right because we have uh TNX uh coming up I think we had like a a 1.7 reading a while back and as I saw uh spy opening this morning lots of strength i saw Q's opening initially with a little bit of strength and then i looked over and i I opened up my window because i hadn't looked for three days i assumed that tnx must be just crashing right but uh actually it's charging right back to those uh highs that we saw in the last six months uh what do you what do you think on that i mean uh what do you think's happening with cpi with inflation Do you think uh it's all supply side or What's going on?
1: Uh, I think that they're finally realizing it might not be transitory and it might be sticking <laughs> around for a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I've heard that. Uh, their narrative. Yeah, a little bit of the narrative, right? Um, yeah, once those prices get high, I think they they tend to tend to pretty much stay there as everything uh, readjusts to them um, uh, until that yeah until that supply um, supply issue I think resolves itself. Uh, I think the after it's done it pretty much freezes things in place and then uh there's apparently there's no christmas this year that's that's also something (laughs) i heard have you heard of that with Uh, the uh, trucking trucking and shipping and supplies
1: yeah i've heard a lot about that well to be fair people have been buying a bunch of stuff the past year sent with their stimulus money so i mean what what else is there left to buy after like stimulus round number four
0: yeah yeah no exactly um just checking over here in the uh, in the chat room. Let's see here. <laughs> Don says sound is good. Uh, Lenny saying what what do they say in the military? Sound is thirty <laughs> thirty, a little overload on Jake's mic. Oh, sorry, that's my fault. Told Jake to to turn it up uh, over on his end, and it was probably just fine. So very cool, very cool. Um, let's let's see here if I can figure out how to do this boom hey all right I like that (laughs) yeah the other thing uh that we're talking about of course was like China and all the all the stuff happening in China right now um their coal so one of the one of the things I I noticed uh that's not really reported much on our end of the uh, our side of the pond is uh is their power outages So apparently, and I've heard different things about this, but apparently uh, two-thirds of the country in China, two-thirds of the population are experiencing these rolling blackouts where, um, you know, the the government says that, hey, these are going to happen, but they're not happening in some sort of controlled way. Like, oh, every day around this time, this area is going to have their power turned off for this many hours. It's completely random. It's complete lottery. And some people over there are finding that, you know, it's out for maybe... Maybe two hours or out for two days, just randomly.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, this you know this power thing, yes, it's a concern, but always around this time of year, countries realize, hey, it's getting cold. maybe we need to buy more power products like we need more coal and natural gas. Uh, let's get on that, and now we have a giant shipping problem on our hands where. Uh, You can't just be like, hey, Australia, I want you to ship some coal to us right now. We need it. It always happens around like October to like the end of November that we get all these news is like, oh, Europe's really cold all of a sudden. We need more power or China's running out of power. So it's going to last for a little bit. And a lot of coal companies have been kind of knocked offline. I think it was like 2017 when like a lot of the big, big money people you know, like your Rockefellers and stuff like that. They divested from the the coal market, and um, natural gas hasn't filled that gap, and neither has nuclear yet. So, uh, yeah, coal's going to be an issue for a little bit until they figure that out.
0: Yeah, there are, there are things um, that I've heard behind the scenes. Some motivations for this. Uh, uh, one is that um, it, people people maybe now haven't heard about this, but China and Australia aren't aren't really getting along that well (laughs) and um one of the facts about uh australia and china is that uh china loves to get australian coal apparently it burns incredibly efficiently um and all of their power plants are designed in china to to run off of this extremely efficient coal and now that they're trying to source from other areas from uh from india and indonesia or something like that um they're using this lower grade coal, and they're finding that it's not generating, uh, not generating as much uh, power as uh, as normal. And I think that we we also used to be a pretty big supplier of coal, and uh, I guess we're not in there um, in their friends list anymore recently.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you sell a couple of nuclear submarines to Australia, and China gets real, real kind of. Hey, we don't like that that South China sea is really combative right now because China's trying to, se- China can, cons- uh, they're trying to secure their military lines and by us going and be like, Hey, Australia, you want some like fast attack nuclear subs? China's like, nah, how about we not do that? How about, how about we all play nice and just let us have our stuff?
0: Yeah. There, there are uh, five, I think it's like a five point system in, uh, around the South China sea. Um, New Zealand, America, Australia, uh Britain and Russia. maybe one one more maybe Russia. Yeah, and uh and they all have interests in that South China Sea area uh which I'll circle back around to for sure. Uh, I the the other side of that equation um that I've heard is you know, there's the supposed. I don't know if you have any update on this, uh, but there's this supposed um, Zoom meeting that's supposed to happen between Xi and uh, and Biden at some mysterious point in the future to talk about uh u.s china trade it'd it'd be kind of nice if uh if if people were clued in or maybe i'm just oblivious to it as to maybe a date that that might happen so uh i know when to maybe be out of the market or get into the market or something like that uh yeah, you know, if if, um, if history is any guide, there'll be some sort of announcement uh, one hour after the market closes. <laughs> <and> it'll be <laughs> all in the futures market, uh, or you know, on a Friday before the weekend or a Sunday a before Friday. the market opens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, going on with that, um, the the issue there is what I've heard is um, there's an emission standard uh, that that needs to be. Uh, met by China, and technically the way that you measure it, right? Because uh, you know, just like the way you measure GDP, uh, one of the big things is real estate. So of course, China blew up real estate for uh, yeah. different reasons, but of course, it makes their GDP look amazing. So now you have these rolling blackouts for two thirds of the population in the country over in China, and lo and behold, there's actually this emission standard. Uh, that needs to be met and you know, how do you save 50% on your emissions? Just turn the power off half the time. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, wouldn't that be convenient? Let's turn the switch off and on for a little bit. No, Oh, we need to be more conservative on green energy. Just, uh, that province doesn't have an energy for a week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it's about
1: com- It's a communist country. So they can do it if they want to.
0: That's true. That's true. Um, you you brought up Australia earlier in the um, the eight nuclear subs. Of course, uh, France got snubbed on that deal. So I don't know. I. I, you know, I, I want to visit France one day. I'm sure they're a lovely country, but, uh, yeah, when I heard that I was, I was, I gave a little, uh, fist pump for like, yeah, that's right. America gets it, <laughs> you know, take that because, <laughs> we got the deal. I mean, nuclear subs are better than whatever they were selling anyway. Um, but, uh, but China also having some, uh, some friction there with Australia over, um, uh, the Wuhan thing. So. Uh, Australia has been this big proponent of investigating the Wuhan lab leak, um, hypothesis, which, uh, which I won't dismiss completely, you know, for, we're, for we're taking, giving out opinions there. Um, I think you're at one of these, one of those states where it's like, well, you can neither prove or disprove. So, Hey, there you go. But, but China, regardless is not a fan of having, uh, someone out there, uh, as big as Australia saying, Hey. We want, uh, free rights to investigate everything that happened in that lab in Wuhan. (laughs) So of course there's that rift already going there. And now whenever, uh, you know, whenever I look over at the Australian side of the pond and see what's running in their news cycle too, uh, there's all this stuff about, uh, Taiwan war coming, right. Um, which I don't know. What's your take on that, Jake? What do you, what do you think about the chances of, a of a, of, of a war, um, Happening in the, you know, South China Sea, specifically around Taiwan.
1: I think the Ch- South China Sea is, is going to be definitely a big battleground. It's one of the, the five largest choke points on Earth when it comes to shipping. So there's going to be there's going to be fights over it. But Taiwan and Hong Kong, eventually China will just absorb them or they'll, they'll just starve them out to where they they have to kind of reclimate into the country. It's eventually going to happen. I don't I don't think there's ever gonna be a war over Taiwan. I think it's just gonna be like, oh hey, we own this place again. Sweet. Like I, I don't see Taiwan ever being like a, a battleground area. I see like the bulk of the states being another battleground area more than uh, Taiwan's gonna be.
0: Yeah. Uh I don't know. I'm I, I'm I'm like up in the air about it, right? On the one hand. So so to get you know conspiratorial like we sometimes oh, yes. do, we sometimes do here on the uh, on the breakout show. Um, yeah, there's no there's no more uh, uh, there's no more Afghan war, right? So what was the Afghan war was going on uh, for? Gosh, what um, what's the math on that? Seventeen years, sixteen years, well, something lo- like that.
1: Long time.
0: Yeah. So anytime there's war, I mean, you have Raytheon. You have uh, General Dynamics. Uh, I don't even know if they're a company anymore, but whatever. Uh, Northrop Grumman. <laughs> you have you have all the usual players, you know, as Eisenhower would say, the, the uh, military industrial complex, getting that free money, right? Getting that free money flow. Um, you know, there, there are plenty of things. The Pentagon is never audited, so you never really know where their money goes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a giant hole in the, the treasury accounts as well. And all this stuff, there's, there's money basically flowing, flowing places. And one of the big, um, big chunks of the pie every year is defense, right? And it's also, uh, one of the, the least, um, least examined, uh, chunks, chunks of that budgetary pie every single year. Um, and it's, it's never, you know, anytime there, there comes up a, a vote for budget, uh, often enough, what happens is in the background. I notice, um, you know, uh, uh, everything might be up for contention, but somehow during a midnight process that was completely overlooked, uh, both sides can come together in an instant to to turn on the money for for defense spending. So now Afghanistan's not there. And and to me, it makes sense to just have this this next war or threat of war, a Cold War thing maybe around like Taiwan, um, just to, you know, just to keep that money flowing into the um, into that complex, um, so yeah, I can see I can see on the one side uh, that advantage, um, and then on the other side, of course, uh, is is you know all the factors against it may be happening, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, that five the five other countries in the world who are like, no, we don't want you to take over uh, Taiwan. So who knows?
1: Oh, yeah. You know where the money seems going to go for uh, the military complex, right?
0: No, where's space that? force. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about space force. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: where that's going to be a huge money dump because, you know, one drone rocket is like seventeen million dollars, but one space shuttle is like a hundred and seventy million dollars. So, you know, you want to talk about a place to sink money? Yeah, let's just put more satellites in space. Yeah, that's totally going to be the next warfare
0: area <laughs> space. Yeah, it sounds uh, sounds pretty juicy. Uh, let's yeah. let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a look here at the chat room. Uh, <laughs> let me put in here um, inflation. Fui. This is not inflation. I lived in Brazil in the seventies with thousand percent inflation. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, hey, you know, we complain about um, what 10 percent uh, more expensive. Uh, um, You know, hamburger at McDonald's or something. (laughs) But, but, uh, yeah, thousand percent inflation, that's, that's something, that's something else. Or, or all those stories (sighs) about, you know, Zimbabwe or, uh, or the Weimar Republic and stuff, right? Venezuela, exactly. Um, he also says propane, there's a shortage of this, and 60% of the Midwest heats their home with this. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's going to look rough. Uh, and then coal is a bigger problem in India. I think Linny's brought this up before that India, uh, maybe backing off of some global, global climate change initiative because Hey, end of the day, coal is cheap, right?
1: Yeah. And, uh, people forget that China and India are not the best friends. Like they, they have active border skirmishes like on a daily basis. So um, both of those countries are currently looking for coal because they need it for it to grow their economy. Because remember, China and India are not an actual like their economy; they're still in an industrial nation. They're still getting there, so you need that cheap, cheap energy to get there. And they're both very starved. And India is not going to be like, oh yeah, China, you can have all our our coal right now. That's not a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a tough place yeah. for uh, for India. <clears throat> I never really thought about that. You know, somebody um, uh, on the coal side. I heard an argument before that as far as uh, climbing up the normal path to first world uh, country status um, or G8 status, if you will um, is is kind of off the table for India at least in the near future and they they pointed out that um, you know what got China into it was this this uh, uh, this this kind of confluence of forces, perfect storm where you know, uh, we wanted to sell off, uh, expensive labor here and, and give it to them for pennies on the dollar, literally. Uh, and then, and, you know, so China goes from, uh, somebody making, um, you know, adjusted, uh, f- you know, I think it was $250 a year or something like that initially, uh, all the way up to today where today, you know, the average, uh, uh Chinese income, I think is like around 12, 12,000 a year. Thirteen thousand a year adjusted so there was a lot of of uh spike in inflation there now um you know if if the world wanted to do that with india india doesn't have that that dislocation so china of course uh, when i say 250 dollars a year that was whenever your average uh, american factory worker was uh was pulling in like 50 60k adjusted you know, back in the seventies, no, you know, straight out of high school. Um, you know, awesome straight out of high school. No, I remember talking to a guy who was like, oh man, my dream car was a Pontiac Trans Am I saved up one summer and I bought it for cash. And I was like, what, (laughs) like, you know, my, my dream car right now, it's probably a few hundred thousand. And if, uh, you know, if I save up over one summer out of high school, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford it, (laughs) you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I saved it yes. for a Fiat,
1: and I, I got it in one summer.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. It was yeah. used from 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On cinder blocks. Yeah, on cinder blocks.
1: <laughs> it, it's really green because I don't use it that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, pe- people also don't realize that... Um, the United States was an industrial power from, like, the 1917s all the way into, like, the 1990s because, well, um, there's these things called world wars, and Ch- uh, China was still rebuilding. Japan was still rebuilding. I mean, Europe was pretty much still rebuilding, and we were the only ones that had, like, hey, we're open for business. You want something? We can make it. And then around the, the like, late 80s and 90s is when we we're like, hey, these Chinese people, they have... They actually got these production houses. Um, let's go over there. And as things were being more and more produced in China, we lost more and more industrial jobs. And because, you know, we're not the major competitor anymore. There's countries that are finally recovered from World War II, Vietnam, Korea. And, you know, we no longer have those 50000 $60,000 industrial jobs. They've been all shipped to China because, well, they have the industrial capacity for it. And so we're probably not going to go back to the time where someone can be like, yeah, at a high school I made $70,000 outside of like the oil industry or like tech. Like industry is going to be in China for a long time. And they they try to off scrape that by saying, oh yeah, it's also going to be in Vietnam and Mongolia. Meanwhile, all the plants are owned by China too to kind of keep the labor cheap as well. So it's pretty yeah. fascinating if you look, look at the scope of history, like why China is rice to the power where it is. And then you add to the fact that a lot of debt went there and once you own a lot of countries debt you get added into the G8 real real quick like the united states has a huge trade imbalance with china and it just so happens that china's like hey united states we own a lot of debt um how about you let us get into the big boys club
0: <laughs> and
1: sure enough china got got a seat at the table there
0: yeah yeah for sure that that goes back to uh to that whole point, I mean, India is off the uh, off the table. They're not going to be able to take over manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, that that whole thing where you know we were we were uh, I view it as arbitrage, right? I mean, we were arbitraging the difference in you know very well paid American workers at 50, 60 grand a year versus workers who were making two hundred and fifty dollars a year. That that gap, if you're if you're talking about existing relative uh, pay, you know, if a if a Chinese Factory workers making twelve thousand a year, and I can tell you that in India, uh, their yearly is at like two or three thousand dollars a year, uh, maybe even a little bit higher because of the tech industry. That arbitrage opportunity is not there. You don't have uh, an arbitrage of hundred and twenty x existing. You have like four x, and at that point, yeah. you know you're trying to figure out like, okay, well, what's my yield curve huh. on transitioning from China over here? It's, it's nothing. So, so until you, you know, you literally have to go find a country in the world, um, where people are making $50 a year, which is really tough. Yeah. Right. Um, and maybe that's, that might be why all the tech industry, uh, and there's some, there is some, uh, early rumblings around looking at, uh, African countries for that, because there are, you know, some, some villages <laughs> out there with technically a labor force. Right. Um, that don't, don't really need much money and there you go that would be the opportunity i guess
1: like nigeria and stuff like that and india is really hard to break into because india when you go into china china says okay we want some of your intellectual properties or we want a backdoor into your software like that's non-negotiable you're going to mm. give us something there india also has huge tariffs on getting stuff in and out of it like i i tried to get something delivered to india it was triple the cost of what it cost for me just to buy the product. Like I was shipping a t shirt to someone for a Christmas present to India. It cost me 15 bucks to, sh- to buy the shirt. It cost me $75 when it was all said and done to get it into wow. India because,
0: yeah. Wow, that's insane. It was
1: insane. And to just get a package delivered to India, you have to have like three different ID cards. The Providences are crazy. India also doesn't have the luxury of being right next to the Pacific Ocean like China does. Like China can be like, oh, there's Japan there. Well, does it go around Japan? India, you know, there's a whole whole history books of people trying to get to India quickly, and it's just not as quick as it used to be. Like, yeah, I say yeah. used to be, but <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> well, let me check here uh, real quick in the community. Lenny uh, chiming in here. Uh, does anyone remember the '80s movie called? Uh, the star chamber, a big conspiracy, uh, was the fear that, of what would happen to the environment. If millions of Chinese started buying cars and refrigerators. Okay. Interesting take on that. Uh, the entire textile industry was just handed over to Asia. No, that's, that's also true. It's hard to, I challenge anyone to walk into, uh, a target or a Walmart for that matter, um. Or, or even a Costco or wherever you go and look at that tag, a manufacturer, and find, uh, find a tag that's not from uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, you know, et cetera, <laughs> right?
1: Right, yeah. And they've pretty much got the price of a shirt as cheap. They got to the price of a shirt so cheap that cotton farmers are like, I'm just not going to crop anymore. Like they, the <laughs> price is so low in that industry that the farmers are at the point where like, nah, nah, I don't, I, it's not even worth it.
0: So yeah, exactly.
1: It, yeah, the China, there was that whole thing, like what happens if you have 1.5 billion people all of a sudden using a car? Like what would that do to the, to the environment? And they're trying to offset that through electric vehicles. You may have noticed there's a lot of electric vehicle companies that come out of China like Neo and the likes. And so they're trying to offset that through um, public transits, and they're trying to do it through electric vehicles. But as you know, electric vehicles, they're not really green until like 10, 15 years after you own it because you have to account for all the um, original costs go into it, like the tires, the aluminum, the cobalt, the lithium, because, you know, those are great for the environment. So I I do remember that. um, There was that big movie there. I don't. I don't think China is too much to worry about right now, um, but it could be. Like it, it could be a, a problem down the line. But they're trying to curb that. And India, India would also be one to watch out for because they also have like 1.5 billion people too. Like China, India, uh, they account for over like what is it, two fifths of the world's population. So yeah, that would definitely. Uh, that would definitely be challenging there, for sure. For
0: sure. Yeah, the electric car thing is a, is definitely an interesting one. In the '80s, I don't think they had uh, any any concept of like, oh, maybe the electric car um, would would help things. Uh, as you point out, there are definitely emissions that come from uh, processing and mining and and collecting those materials in the first place. Um, I, I have a little bit of hope on that <laughs> and that just comes oh. from uh you know when when um, when covid was hitting uh, there was that common meme that was running around uh, uh, that was on the internet about how all these different um, societies you know all these different societies uh, uh, you know whenever they were under lockdown within like two months all of a sudden the air cleared and i remember seeing huh. one uh one thing the story about these uh these guys and I, I want to say it was somewhere in in Uh, I don't know, maybe it's like Turkey or something like that, where uh, one day they they woke up and they went outside and then everyone made this huge commotion. Like, what is it? What is it? They're all pointing to the horizon and they're all saying, like, look, mountains, (laughs) because because like their entire life, like for an entire generation they'd grown up and like, they know that mountains are on a map, but they had no idea that you could actually see them with your eyes, <laughs> you know, because it's wow. just a constant cloud of, uh, of emissions. And, um, you know, also, uh, years ago, I remember striking up a conversation with, uh, with this, uh, Asian family. Um, and they were, they were talking about how, uh, you know, they were, they were bringing their daughter over to the U S for college. And one of the, one of the interesting reasons they said was, um, for her health. And they were worried, generally worried, like genuinely worried that that she's growing up in this cloud of smog. And they were that that was their comment on America. It was like, oh my gosh, the air here is so clean. You know, it's like, oh huh. yeah, I take it for granted uh, that that you know <laughs> that you, that breathing is is a is a nice thing. You know, and ninety nine percent of the time, that's true in California. Um, or ninety eight, and then two percent of the time, you know, we're on fire. So hey
1: we're on fire yeah and fresno yeah. gets all of it like we're, we're the bull of california so we get all that fire smoke um well oh yeah for china during the covid lockdown that was one of the things that they were they were like what's going on with china because all of a sudden on satellite maps all that smog disappeared and people are like this isn't right like we're having all the smog is everything shut down in china is china okay <laughs> like is that right in the early time of COVID, because people were really genuinely worried about production because you could actually see the streets through a satellite map in China again. And they're like, we haven't been able to see that street in like 10 years. What's going on?
0: Well, you know, they're, they're always concerned about security. Uh, for instance, the uh, IPO of Didi, um, one of the reasons why China uh, piped up and said, hey, you know, we, we don't want. Um, uh, any more public uh, companies going public because so they worried they were worried about um private information and one of the things in china that's interesting i think there are only like 29 companies in china that are allowed to map china to create maps of roads right so uh, maybe all that smog is uh it's like a chinese privacy um you know a new security Britain. term would be smog a uh, smog wall
1: <laughs> fog of war yeah Go
0: to old StarCraft. war, <laughs> Yeah, literally. Fogafor.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. So, um, also he talked about a good, a good thing to talk about is the Midwest right there being a huge propane shortage. Um, it's actually really interesting talking about that in the Midwest. Um, there, the whole Midwest in the United States is really struggling with just like everything, mm-hmm. just everything, like pool companies. Cause you know, I don't, uh, because my my photo business pretty much got shot during COVID, I took over my brother's pool business. And chlorine was kind of difficult to get a hold of. I mean, it's gone up 200%. But people in the Midwest, they pretty much have to shut down all their businesses because they just couldn't get it. Like, they couldn't get chlorine. They couldn't get pipes, PVC, pumps. Like, the Midwest, I don't know what's going on with it right now. But it's just hard to get everything here. And... They use a ton of propane during the winter because well that's their main heating source and it's not like oil there's a shortage of oil in the united states i mean we have what is it like 420 million barrels just sitting there and propane is a byproduct of uh um, distillation and and crude but still like it is like it's crazy right there just it's probably going to go up in price until they get this distribution fixed on that one Anyhow, that was a side note outside of China. I just yeah. To I reports.
0: mean, you follow follow more of this. I mean, uh, when you're talking propane, <laughs> does that also get um, collected into this, just like natural gas, or is natural gas like a totally different animal altogether? Um, you know, oil, of course, seems to be going up. Which, by the way, I have no idea why oil goes up. I don't trade it, so I don't really <laughs> I don't really know the reasons behind it. Um, and then that nat gas, I guess, is maybe also the same thing maybe there's some sort of crunch going on there again i don't trade nat gas um even though the futures uh are there for it i just don't don't bother with uh with that commodity um what's what's going on in the in the energy pipeline jake i mean uh, i think you you keep tabs on this stuff right are you
1: okay changing over to nat oil for a bit, leaving china behind for a minute
0: <laughs> yeah no let's go for it what <laughs> we got with oil <laughs> so for oil I mean, uh, um yeah. when- who are the players? There's some,
1: <laughs> well, for oil, there's something called the crack spread. Have you ever heard about this?
0: Uh, isn't it, that the it... difference between Brent and, uh, IWM or something like that? Well, it's or the no. difference
1: between, um, when you break oil. So when you crack it, uh, mm-hmm. there's a difference between the price of heating oil, butane, propane, jet fuel, heating oil, um, and gasoline. There's a, there's a price spread between all of those. And so the crack spread is, um, what would have been the difference if I were to made propane instead of heating oil? And would I have made more money making propane instead of heating oil this time of year. And so there's a spread between that. And so it's watched pretty, uh, pretty closely. So like when a refinery comes and they get that light sweet crude or the hard sour crude and they mix it, they go, okay, what are we going to make today? Are we going to make gasoline? Are we going to make jet fuel? Are we going to make propane, butane? Uh, heating oil and say they make a bunch of heating oil and all of a sudden the Midwest just gets a record heat wave. Well, they go, Oh man, we lost money on that. (laughs) And so, so there's a huge spread there. So propane is a byproduct of, uh, of light of crude being uh, broken apart. So cracked apart on that. So natural gas is used for heating too, but uh, propane is also a byproduct there. Natural gas and, and oil It's just a lot of the weather we've been getting lately. So a lot of the weather's been knocking refineries offline, you know, because of hurricanes and cold snaps and getting parts to repair the pipelines has been fairly difficult because, you know, you send a a pressurized gas through these pipelines and they're like, hey, I think we have a leak there. It's not something like, oh, just, just throw some flex tape on there. It's totally cool. No, it's something that you need, like specialized equipment to repair. And you just can't get it sometimes. And so that pipeline goes down and then you have distribution problem and then mm. prices go up like crazy.
0: You need special duct tape is what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah. Special flex tape. <laughs> the,
0: uh... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's so, good to know. What about but, uh, oil, oil markets? Why, you know, why am I paying, uh, you know, over $4 at the pump for these last few months?
1: Well, first of all, you live in California. Welcome to California, yeah, that's true. <laughs> by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're no longer in Texas, where they're like, eh, you know, it'll be fine. We're California. We charge a, an arm and a leg for our oil just from um, taxes alone. Yeah, I'm looking should... at light sweet crude right now. Uh, yeah, we're currently at 426 million barrels of oil just sitting in a parking lot somewhere. So wow, it's not like there's a sh- there's not like a shortage of it. Like we're not like okay, like 2 million barrels. We're like, Oh boy, guys, it's getting pretty scary. So it, it, there's not a shortage of it. And and natural gas just keeps building up in storage every year. So it's, it's not like where there's a deficit of it. It's more of a distribution problem. And for California, it's more of a tax problem because California sits on a huge amount of oil reserves, but we just don't tap it because of um, emission standards. So, hmm. but, but yeah, it's, a lot it's really difficult to get repair parts and just getting getting people to get excited about repairing these things too because a lot of people are like, you know what? I don't like this job anymore. I don't I don't want to work for this job anymore, and so I'm not going to. And so since COVID, people have had like a big realization that like I don't have to work at McDonald's my whole life. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I heard, I'm gonna start uh... an OnlyFans page or something like that and and try to do it that way or an Etsy. <laughs> like i want to make beanies or something
0: <laughs> so i don't. heard i heard uh somebody somebody told me i don't know if it's true or not they saw like a 21 dollars an hour sign uh at their local mcdonald's and i think this was like tennessee or something like that which was uh awesome so i'm just gonna say i think it's great right um, That's great, uh great yeah, yeah. I, I i really do think that uh generally and, um, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that disagree with me on this, but generally, I think that the, we, we've we experienced the longest stretch in history of no pay increases, <laughs> and it's just finally catching yeah. up to us, right? I mean, uh, even from the 80s into, like, I don't know, 80s into the mid-90s, that was, like, 15 years, and even along the way, there were, like, pay increases and the minimum wage, anyway, that's what I'm talking about, which, which tons of people hate out there, and, uh, and well okay a certain section of people hate out there <laughs> um and then i'm sure for the people uh, that would get it would love it right but um but yeah we've gone from i think the mid 90s all the way to now without like an official you know increase in uh in minimum wage and in you know it, at any other time in history you know counting inflation and all that stuff um gosh i think we're i think the big thing is is pushing for a um pushing for like a, a $15 minimum wage and I would have said that a $15 minimum wage should have been in effect 10 years ago. so now now I kind of think it's it's probably closer to like 16 or 17 an hour if I had to guess uh, what it should be and you know boom we're finally we're finally actually hitting it. It's just the the shock. I think the whole shock of it of just hitting all at once is uh, is a big deal um, whereas if uh, if if it had been kept up with over time, um, I think, I think that the opportunity to have a much more gradual curve was completely lost. And so, yeah, here we are. <laughs> good luck no to him. politician To the workers. No, <laughs> no politician no, wants no to touch politician it. Want, yeah. They
1: don't want to be the one to be like, okay, guys, well, our economy is really, really good. I think it's start, time to tap the brakes there and kind of slow things down and we let everything catch up. Like all politicians are really scared. We don't have like, Paul Volcker or Jimmy Carter, who just come out and say, "Hey, <laughs> maybe we should uh, focus on our neighbors and help them out more. Instead, we should buy more things." And so, no, no Federal Reserve chief after him or uh, politician be like, "Yeah, let's tap the brakes in the economy." Instead, they're like, "Oh, this business is going to fail. We better uh, throw a couple billion dollars at it to make sure that doesn't happen." <laughs>
0: Uh, or to be, to be a little bit more on the nose, this, this bank is going to fail. <laughs> and yeah, we this, throw, throw a billion dollars at them, you know, cause I guess you can point at the business, but I think the truth is that the business only matters if the bank is invested in it, you know, yeah. which they always and are. So.
1: And minimum wage, um, if you didn't do the amount of stimulus and we cut back on debt, you could keep minimum wage where it is because eventually pricing power, Of that wage would equal the purchasing power what that person could buy, but by just keep throwing stimulus after stimulus after stimulus after stimulus, stimulus, you have to raise prices, and then companies say, "Well, yeah, well these people make more, we can charge them more," and (laughs) and then the government say, "Oh, yeah, we got to bail them out, and we got to bail them out, and we got to keep running this deficit deficit spinning, so we need to increase minimum wage." But you know the dollar is still weakening, what is it, three percent a year, and then COVID happened, and then it weakened to like. 15 18 percent in the span of like one year just be out of the mountain printed out so minimum wage is great but it's it's not realistic for how much money is being printed out into the system because as long as the taps are open it doesn't matter how much you raise minimum wage the it the doll the amount of the strength of the dollar is going to depreciate still and so you're going to have to raise it every year and companies like well we can still make money there it's a slippery slope on that one but it's nice to finally see like mcdonald's being like you know what maybe we need people more than we need shareholder value and I, i'm sorry we're a stockholder sh- stock show and it's terrible to say that but they're finally like people don't want to work for us anymore um maybe we should pay them more Maybe them we should get them excited and so in fresno i saw a sign 18 dollars starting at mcdonald's like like I, I i'll take a picture of it next time i see it just as the sign there and meanwhile my niece who started out as an EMT working in the back of the EMT is going to be starting at $15 an hour. Like you want to talk about a description in the economy too. It's 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 strange.
0: Yeah. It's definitely going to take some, some time to, um, you know, kind of, kind of balance things out. (laughs) It's the, it's the best (laughs) way to to put it. Uh, Um, you know, I, uh, the only, the only reason I say, um, or advocate for, um, you know, minimum wage is as a floor, you know, so, so that's where I, I'm coming from, uh, whenever I say, um, that, uh, uh, you know, one of the, one of the main reasons for my logic on that is that, uh, it's, it's specifically this scenario where in two years time, you know, if I, if I rewind two years ago, um, $12 an hour, (laughs) right. Yeah. That was what, I mean, no company really had any trouble. Uh, if we're going to stay in the fast food, as the um, you know, fast food is the symbol of the entire economy, right? No company, at least in Texas, had any problem trying to get uh, a worker on for for uh, uh, twelve dollars an hour. Um, or you go down to the Taco Bell or something. I'm sure it was uh, ten dollars an hour or something like that. But but you could you could constantly see that. And then now it's that sharpness that's that's really just like the danger I think of going in two years time that, you know, 12 to 16, 18, you know, stuff like that that sharp 50% uh, increase in the way in the, in the wage I would, I would have argued like, Hey, it would be a lot better if that was just like, you know, 5% (laughs) over time, like, you know, 5% over time, like, or 10% just, just based on uh, I, you know, this is where it all falls apart. Actual inflation, right? There's no, there's no <laughs> yeah, real inflation. measure of actual inflation because um, because CPI is as uh, fickle <laughs> as fickle as anything can be, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's clear yeah, as much.
1: Yeah, CPI is very much of. Um, we're gonna take this range. We don't like this bottom number and this high number. Yeah, this high number looks really good for us. So we're gonna use this high number, but we're not gonna use that small number right there. And then CPI looks. Better all of a sudden. <laughs> and all yeah, of a sudden right. you're like, no, there's no inflation. No, no, we're actually showing uh, that 2% target, we're just barely getting there now. And then you look at the numbers and you're like, hey, what? why did you move that scale up a little bit? Like, isn't that bottom number really important and that high number over here really <laughs> important? And the Fed goes, well, you know, uh, not really. It's skewed. It's skewed. So we, uh, we just use those middle numbers ever since uh, Johnson took over the government after JFK and he was handed his first GDP, uh, GDP report and he's all, that's not good enough. And they're like, well, that that's the numbers. And he's all, no, I don't think that is the numbers. Why don't you come back with a better number since since Johnson, it's all kind of come, come back down. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, CPI is officially the, uh, just a, just like the billboard charts. It's the, uh, but in reverse, the lowest, a collection of the, of the, of 30 things that experienced the least amount of inflation (laughs) over, over the last year or since our, since our last reading, uh, as opposed to like being a collection of, uh, necessities that people actually spend money on and need in life. Um, checking over here on the website, Penelope chiming in, wow, $18 and Mickey D's, she points out that Costco pays 27 an hour, which is amazing. Wow. Um, I don't know if they're, uh, she's wondering if they're on a union. I don't know if they they are on a union. I think that Costco has just been one of those blue companies like Southwest that just has a reputation of, uh, of always paying their employees. Well, um, at least that's, that's how I've known it. Um, and from, from the old, uh, from what I can remember, my old college friends who would have jobs there, um, Lenny, uh, Lenny's saying EMT business is a strange one, for sure. Uh, Contractors, um, you know, services to the fire department, you know, that's all sorts of things. Minimum wage. Okay. He's talking about um, maybe tying things to minimum wage. I think earlier he was talking about tying rent to, um, to, to income. Good luck with that. (laughs) There's uh, (laughs) a Taco Bell near Bob uh, hiring on site up to $18 an hour. Wow. Which, uh, you know, hey, again, I say, awesome. Good for, good for those yeah. kids. I am very jealous. I'm very jealous of that because I, I guarantee you whenever I, uh, in high school, when I applied to my, my local pizza place, you know, and I was, getting, I was getting 50 cents over minimum wage at the time. I think that was like $7.50. Um, that was, that was a, a little bit of a fraction over poverty rate. And now if you go work at Taco Bell, uh, you're making as much as a teacher (laughs) public in a public school, (laughs) basically. Um, so good for that. that. I don't know. I mean, teachers, how much do teachers make? I always hold them up as like, Hey, these are the, you know, these, this job is, um, just like garbage, garbage, men. Teachers typically get, um, the, 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 uh, Whoa! That, that is very
1: close. The that bad, is very you know, close to the teacher makes. So, <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, they get the short yeah. end of the stick. That's what I'm trying to say. Teachers, what do they make? Forty-five? Oh, let's see here. So forty times
1: four times eighteen times twelve. It's thirty-four thousand. Most teachers start at twenty-six thousand so, dollars.
0: Start at twenty-six um, up to thirty. Oh, so yeah, they are uh, eighteen dollars an hour full time. Probably. Yeah. Wow probably close to the same benefits <laughs> you know like <laughs>
1: well teachers benefits got really good yeah
0: that's that's the next headline jake <laughs> public schools public schools lose teachers to mcdonald's and taco bell <laughs> and i can imagine yeah. the interviews with the teachers there it was like oh man no more parent teacher meetings this is fantastic <laughs> from the from the teachers perspective right <laughs> yeah Oh, man yeah.
1: I only have to deal with one customer at a time and not 40, 40 yeah. parents. Yeah,
0: that's great. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, Any kids I see so, are gone one minute later. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic.
1: So looking at Indeed as a source here. So it's Indeed. You mm-hmm. said the grain of salt. So a first-year starting teacher typically makes about eighteen eighty an hour. Um, once they've been there for six to nine years, they make about $21 an hour. So that means someone with a degree... So four years in school and then two years of like externship and, you know, they have to do like a, um, an internship where they have to work so many hours for free. So six years of your life, um, you are making 80 cents more than someone who's currently working at Taco Bell who, um, does this for beer money on the side after he dropped out of high school. Like how insane is that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but wow. Jake, it's uh, it it's it's for the children. <laughs> I say that oh, very I, sarcastically.
1: I think, te- <laughs> I think uh, uh, pro athletes should get paid uh, paid what teachers make, and teachers should make what pro athletes make. Like, oh, like teachers should be like the rock stars. Like, you'd be like, oh my goodness, you got Mrs. Swanson teaching second grade. Like, they should have like draft picks, like they do in the NFL, for like teachers. That's how that's how valuable they should be.
0: Like, yeah wow they didn't know this i used to live in uh dallas i'm looking on indeed which actually has the highest uh per hour teacher pay in the entire country that's that's very surprising (laughs) to me well go dallas good for them you know uh everywhere else here yeah all over the map uh looks like the bigger cities um are paying that 24 but of course when you're looking at the average you're, you're averaging out all those uh rural areas smaller towns and and yeah definitely uh seeing a lot a lot smaller um, a lot less on that end man wow that, that's so crazy that's crazy yeah i just and, thought uh, of that costco, I don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs> costco um they're unionized but the the ceo of costco's like he's come out and said it numerous times when uh and activist investors have challenged him like you could be making so much more money why don't you do it and he's all well, first of all, I'm making a living wage. So I'm making, I'm only making like 150, 250 thousand dollars a year, which is really good. And second, if I pay my employees well, they don't leave. And if they don't leave, they stay there for a while, so I don't have to train a new employee how to do the job. And their happiness is a lot higher. So uh, we actually save money in the yeah. long run.
0: Yeah, I remember, so, uh, um, you know, as proof that CEOs should should filter everything through a PR department. Uh, <laughs> what was it? uh years and years ago i thought this was hilarious uh mcdonald ceo um you know when questioned answered like oh you know what's what how do you how do you reply to your employee not paying your employees enough to live and he's basically his reply was they need to get a second job (laughs) so i was like okay damn that's pretty harsh you know so yeah yeah Um, for the longest time walmart 18 to 21 an hour i mean hey there you go good good for uh good for them I hope they uh, invest it well.
1: So, Walmart used to have on their site how to u- live off of welfare and how to use your EBD cards and how to um, live within your means. If you are a Walmart employee on their site, like for the longest time, they had applications on how to apply for state welfare while working a full time job at Walmart. Like,
0: yeah, I, I don't no, know about that's... you, but
1: that, yeah.
0: I think, yeah, I, I think crazy. I remember hearing something along the lines of like, hey, you know, people should be outraged at basically tax dollars, <laughs> you know, considering the amount of employees at Walmart, you know, um, uh, some chunk of all of our tax dollars go to paying Walmart employees <laughs> because Walmart doesn't, doesn't pay them. Um, but this is, uh, you know, that's, this is like a topic that, um, really is nothing new, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> yeah. uh. Yeah, you know, so Really, beautiful. the question the the question I always have, uh, or I, that I'm wondering about, is like when when does it uh, when does it stop? You know, um, and and I'll switch gears here and, and kind of use housing as a as a you know as a as a uh, as a topic here, um, housing in BlackRock. I just want to put that out there right so blackrock's always a fun oh, one man. i don't know if you if you uh, know about them um yeah i've looked at them i've heard about their history blackrock is a company i mean they must be uh, they're they're excellent because i i mean by virtue of size there should be a lot of conspiracy theories around blackrock but surprisingly few and over history oh. uh, looking at it uh, as far as i can tell they're just a really well-managed company um but they are buying up a ton of real estate, um, you know, way way over asking price for cash, and uh, and what's interesting is they manage nine point five trillion dollars, and that um, if you uh, there was some statistic out where if you look at the amount of global business and transactions that happens per year, it totals out to about seventy five trillion. So, BlackRock oh. is managing nine and a half trillion. You know, and uh, and I remember years ago when um, MBS, um, uh, Saudi Arabian Prince, did that two point seven or two point three trillion dollar fund. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever Uh, that that pales, pales in comparison to how much money BlackRock controls. Um, What do you think about that? First, first on real estate and uh, and second on, on BlackRock, what your take is.
1: Well, it makes sense i mean you can't the stock market pe values and dividend yields are so low now that they have to justify their growth pro uh, their growth model which is like three to five percent to justify management fees and where can you get that you can't get that in a bond you can't really get that in a municipal bond anymore that's investment grade uh, but you're gonna get it in real estate and i mean if the real estate deal goes south, well, you still own the land, and that land still has value, and you can depreciate that land in a tax basis, so it it makes sense, it makes sense, I mean, we're in an area where there's, there should be, like, super hyperinflation, you don't print $26 trillion and not have inflation, and they have to get a return somewhere, and that return is in hard assets, so it's, like, in cattle ranches, it's in oil fields, it's in stuff you can't make more of. Like you can't make more houses than there is land available in the United States, until so we start dipping uh, trash into the ocean like they do in Japan. It, it's it's clean. Don't get me wrong. They're not just throwing <laughs> like diapers in there. They're they're it's reclaimed and they process it and they're purifying. They turn into sand. But until you start doing that, you can't make more real estate. Like you can't make more real estate than there's land. And you can raise rents three to five percent a year every year, every year until people can't afford it anymore. I mean if you looked at the trend of how much people are paying on their paychecks just to live in a home, it's gone to something like 35% to like 72 to 80% in some areas in the past decade. And people need a place to live. I mean, I don't need a share of Facebook, but I need a house to live in. So it makes, it makes economic sense that BlackRock's going to start doing that. I mean, BlackRock's doing it. Um, you have Vanguard that's doing it. You have even the home ownership sites, you know, like Redfin, Zillow, uh, Listed Up. They're all buying real estate too just so they can have it on their site. Be like, hey, we actually have this home you can buy. And so it, it's driven prices up to absurd levels. Sorry. Had a burp there. <laughs> Should have hit the mute button. But like Nevada, um, for a while there, wheat companies were making so much of a return that there's whole suburbs in Nevada that they're just rental properties owned by REITs. And mm-hmm. they use that money and they buy more homes. They actually go and they build a home just to put people in there. So it makes sense. I mean, the yield and rent, it's always going to be able to increase 3 to 5% until people can't afford it anymore. And then we have a different problem in our hands. So it, it yeah. makes sense uh, because if we look at a dividend yield on the S&P 500, so if we look at like the SPY, I think you'll yeah. you like... load that
0: up on the uh screen do a little screen share what's what's that i'll sure, give it let's in yield here. Let's go here in a way uh yeah. in a way this is this is going medieval right i mean the you could you could yeah. argue that for the last uh the last thousand years um you know uh, a rentier class if you want to get a fan- use a fancy name but but renting is uh has been like you know the safest it's like the bond it's like the original bond yeah. is renting out a place to live, you know, either in a feudal system or in Victorian area era. You had your noble class that that owned everything, and there you go. No one, no one owned. Uh, yeah, so there, everyone basically paid Apple, rent. There's
1: Microsoft. I mean, like mm-hmm. you're looking at like 1.6 was was the S and P 500 yield, mm-hmm. and the rate. or oh, sorry, is 1.29, and the rate of dollar depreciation is two percent. And you mm-hmm. have to justify your three to 5% business model because you got to charge people to maintain these funds and find now the S and P 500 appreciates like, what is it like five to 20% a year in the past, like for the past two years. So mm-hmm. the stock goes up five, 10%. And so you can sell a little bit and get there, but that dividend yields, what they are looking at and we're looking at, like, they go back and like, looking at some Spanish bond from like 5,000 years ago and rates have never been lower and they, 5,000 years is a long, long track record. Like, So real estate, it's like the feudal lords. Like, hey, we have real estate. Land gives you a lot of leverage. I mean, you can depreciate it. You can raise rent. You can build a new home on it. You can change a single family home if it's zoned to like a multi-family home. And hey, look at that. Your 5% rent now turned into 10% in yield. And so it makes sense why they're going there. A lot of these funds are going to continue to use access returns to continue to buy tangible assets as inflation continues to pick up there. Um, so they're going to buy stocks, too. Don't get me wrong there. They're still buying the S&P 500, the the Russells, the, the QQQs. But they're getting more bank for their buck on real estate because of what you can do with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, there's, there's the other part of that equation, too. Um, it's like you said, there are only two. Uh, when dealing with the, in the repo market, there are only two forms of what is it uh, prime prime collateral or something like that. That's uh, pristine collateral. Pristine collateral, yeah, and that's either treasury bonds or surprise, surprise, real estate, right? If I remember well, correct, not anymore. Not they now allow, huh? corp-
1: allow you to use they allow you use corporate bonds too, or at least they did as of like six months ago. I
0: don't is know it, if they one hundred
1: percent those... changed it.
0: Are those triple-A rated corporate bonds? <laughs> uh, I think it was just,
1: yeah, if only. If only. Yeah.
0: And it's Cause probably the triple-B or
1: Because the next, yeah. the,
0: uh, the next uh, headline there is that uh, someone acquires uh, Moody's <laughs> or Fitch or <laughs> yeah. something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now owned by uh, the Fed Reserve Bank. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah this blonde bought to you by the federal reserve it's AAA. Yeah.
0: I think that the new yeah. tagline should just be what could go wrong
1: everything seems to work fine so far yeah exactly you can you can uh, you can rate us on that yeah so yeah so it, i mean blackrock's gonna continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger until um regulators step in and say Hey, you know what? Um you're bigger than Europe in <laughs> assets under manage. Yeah. M- maybe we should break break that up a little bit. But then they realize, wait a minute, they're bigger than Europe. My pension funds in there.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't regulate hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, blah, blah, I, uh. BlackRock also, uh unsurprisingly, uh for the I forget which what the exact number is, but but for all the largest companies in the, um, in the stock market, they, they own like 5% stake in it, which is really interesting. Um, yeah. And, uh, I think, I think the other part of that was that, whereas, uh, Renaissance, um, fund and, uh, Dalio's fund and all these other different funds, uh, have been focused on like, oh, we need to find some algorithm to make money. Um, BlackRock, at least their only public thing, is um, is uh, an algorithm that's called Aladdin, and the Aladdin's only purpose is to um, run Monte Carlo sc- scenarios um, to identify like r- like some some sort of thing that could kill their entire company. So so essentially, what they've done is is create the entire company to to resist any kind of implosion. You know that's their that's, that's their main thing. And then, um, yeah, I guess at that point, if you if you're up in the uh, the, the brilliance that I think of it, um, that I think is there, is one the size because you have to be of a certain size for it to even make sense to to um, to try and, and do that sort of thing. But two, anytime, so anytime the Fed balance sheet increases, um, you know most of that money has has shown in the last decades um, to stay in in basically a financial services cloud most of it stays up there about about yeah you know as far as trick if you want to if you want to pretend that there's trickle down about uh about uh of the 10 percent that's left like another seven percent of it's claimed and then three percent at the very end of the road three percent actually reaches like you know the 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 commoners <laughs> that sort of thing <laughs> but but you know Long story short, if you have uh, BlackRock and all of their, you know, huge nine, nine and a half trillion is tied up in this, um, this huge, you know, huge financial services cloud and fixed assets like, uh, you name it, gold. I'm sure they own some crypto. They own a piece of every, every single one of the largest companies. They own tons of real estate now. Um, You know, abstractly speaking, they make money off of the growing Fed balance sheet, period. You know, so uh yeah the the next crisis which um you know these happen faster faster so so in uh in one or two years during the next crisis i'll see you here again we'll be talking about this and we'll be talking about uh you know the good old days you remember jake the good old days when um tarp was like 750 billion dollars and what was he was maybe the other thing there was some other stuff right but but Uh, uh yeah when when um when stimulus was measured in billions.
1: So, uh, I like to measure in one Apple now.
0: <laughs> one Apple. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, shit. I, I mean, look at the yeah. market cap of Apple. It's it's literally the size of one tarp.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Or um, what is it like? Three Jeff Bezos. Three uh, Jeff Bezos. Elon yeah, something Musk. like
0: that. <laughs> That's a new, yeah. it's the new, uh, uh measure of value. <laughs> oh, Apple's market so. cap
1: is two point four, four oh, trillion okay. dollars. So we have to look at tarps as, um, oh yeah, it's one Tesla. It's one Tesla.
0: It's one Tesla. Oh, I love it. It's one. Tes- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're taking, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be the next thing. So most, most, um, I think for, for most organizations, you know, is a, is a morale thing. They have uh, fantasy football, um, Surprisingly, surprisingly behind the scenes, there just aren't a lot of sports, uh, sports, um, personalities, uh, in the offices. Um, Kathy is our biggest sports personality. She (laughs) follows, she follows baseball. She's a huge golden warriors fan. She's, she's, you know, she doesn't support the Dodgers, but apparently she's, she, she was, uh, following that very closely. Um, she is up and up on that stuff. So she keeps us, uh, keeps us in line keeps us informed on that, but we should, we should start together. The office pool of, uh, fantasy, um, uh, fantasy stimulus, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Michelle. I think, I think we hit the two, the two trillion dollar barrier. Uh, I, I think, I think the next one's five easy five. That's what I have my money on it. Five trillion. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, seeing how they, they wanted to pass, like, what is it? 3.8 and then like another 1.4 in congress five's a pretty realistic number what we yeah. should do is we start we should start doing a, a fantasy federal reserve chief poll be like oh man you got ballard oh man who'd you get oh man i just got yelling again <laughs> <laughs> the like, fantasy anyone Fed want poll.
0: anyone want one of these there's they're like trading cards <laughs> it's like anyone need yeah. a yelling want- like, oh nah, i got like 10 of those
1: <laughs> i got a, i got an evans who needs a hawkish bet right now i got an evans <laughs>
0: oh know,
1: man we all nerd on that, that that type of stuff dude do you think Pelosi is going to allow them to do a stimulus bill this time i don't know man moochin's pretty pretty st- put his foot down on that one <laughs> yeah but i got this bid on like on uri at united rinfels i'm really hoping that they'll pass this bridge thing because that bridge kind of fell apart last week and they really need to get done. I don't know, man. And that seems like a pretty, pretty hot bet. You know, that's the stuff we talk about. Not like, did you see that receiver pass? And he fumbled like four times this game. Like, what, what's going on there? Yeah. I used to do yeah. being ESPN a uh, broadcast cameraman before COVID. So um, that was a, a pretty sharp learning curve. When they're like, Jake, you got to follow the white cap. The white cap. I'm all, who's the white cap? And they're all the ref with the white cap. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, that you makes guys sense. You're paying me too much to be here. <laughs> yeah, um, just some football trivia. Whenever there's a flag on the play, and there's a ref going to be speaking about what type of penalty it is for football, the referee always has a white cap that's going to do it.
0: Oh, so. Okay. There you go. Learn something new so. every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but that—that's that, the man. extent of my sports knowledge. Hey, <laughs> what do you what do you think of
0: uh, you. what do you think this of this last dip in the markets, right? Because, like, uh, I mean, there it felt like there was, for a while, uh, you know, some, some. Uh, I, I really did feel like we finally hit that, that thing of, like, oh, my gosh, this it might not bounce this time, right? I mean, um, this, to me, this is all business as usual. Totally not surprised uh, by it. But, um, you know, we, uh, for those who don't know in the community, uh, I am not, I am not a macro guy, you know, even though uh, I have opinions on all of it kinda of like it's kinda of like that guy who's like, oh I don't even watch that show and then they know every single character and every single thing that's happened. You know, that sort of thing. So I so I constantly repeat that that uh, mantra is like I am not a macro guy. I am not. Um, but Jake Jake is like uh, is definitely um, the macro macro guy that I that I like bother on Slack and stuff behind the scenes. I'm like Jake, explain this to me, right? Um you know, I uh, I I was watching the repo markets through this last dip. I was watching uh, bond yields through this last dip, which is you know. But you're not a macro guy. But I'm not a macro guy. I'm not a macro guy, right? <laughs> um, you know, I, I was in a in seasonality. So so this this is the main reason I'm not a macro guy. Seasonality tells me that. Um, uh, uh, you know, August, September, and October are just the most volatile times, uh, months of the year for the last 70 years, almost like clockwork. So for me saying like, oh, there's going to be a big dip sometime, August, September, October is, is nothing that's, that's, that's meaningless. You don't get points. If anybody says there's going to be a crash, August, September, October, they don't get any credit for it. There shouldn't be any, they shouldn't get any credit for it. Right. If, if you're calling it in July, then that's, that's when I'll stand up and applaud and be like, oh my gosh, you. You did well. Yeah, that that's amazing. Um, there's another little tip for you. If you if you buy leaps, then um, like I, I bought leaps on this last dip. If you're buying leaps and stuff, then July is historically an amazing time. July and in very early August, some years are an amazing time to exit those leaps, uh, heading into volatility season. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, did you? I mean, were you uh, uh, thinking thinking like, okay, hey, this this. Uh, this market could keep on heading lower or or uh do you think this is a real question do you think that we're still not out of the volatility season i'm i'm kind of iffy on myself what might happen there
1: well look at the chart for the s p 500 i was i was mm-hmm. very much being like you know what this actually looks like it could have been a topping out pattern like i was like hmm. yeah because we had like three weeks where monday tuesday it just collapsed and then it tried yeah, to get lot- back into it and then
0: load that up on the screen so that we can see uh we can see the spy see see what happened i'm looking at a daily chart for those who are listening on the podcast daily chart uh just loading up some regular old moving averages some uh 8 21 and 50 emas um on the this is weekly daily there we go so boom so i'm gonna zoom zoom all the way in on that okay and I cut you off. So there's like an L pattern is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, it looked like there was a topping out pattern. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. This looks like a topping out where the market might be like, oh, that yeah, bonds are really good. Uh, we might want to scale back there. And then it just broke that movement right there. Like Once we went above 440, it was like game back on. And I was like, well, oh, never mind. Game on back to normal. Looks like we're going to go to all-time <laughs> highs. So
0: yeah, uh, if it would have kept on
1: that trend. Yeah, if it would have kept following that trend and be like, yeah, this is this is very interesting. This might be a nice time to start looking for some long term holdings. But uh earnings came around, you know, no surprise, earnings knocked it out of the park. And the market's like, Oh yeah, yeah, isn't stocks supposed to be counterinflationary anyhow? And so they just piled back into it. Now we're touching all time highs again, the S P five hundred, like a week before, like what is it, like forty percent of the whole market reports earnings next week?
0: yeah so, yeah exactly i mean it's a big I mean, big Tesla players uh, weighing in uh goldman sachs financial markets things like that did uh, uh amazing from what i hear um already of course banks banks kind of weighing in uh financial week is already come and gone as far as uh, as far as i'm concerned all the big players pretty much already reported right yeah
1: all the big banks are reported they all they don't like to report like right next to each other and before the market mm-hmm. opens because they got stuff they got to do.
0: Yeah, I think it's so, uh, I forget what I think uh, like JP Morgan or something like that kicks off uh, earning season, in my opinion, because <laughs> they're yeah, pretty cause much the financials. I mean, you know, outside of like whoever it is, it used to be Alcoa used to be the the, yeah, the big signal one. Right. You know, and then that's that's no longer really a big deal. Um, yeah, you know, I've rewound some on this chart back to last year. Of course, sharp, sharp move up, and then a subsequent sell-off uh, in in September, bottoming out late September, and then uh, seem to have this this nice, uh, nice trajectory to the upside. Now, uh, you know, you go back in time, the S&P kind of looks like this, you know, and uh, you know, to me, uh, abstractly, there's this it kind of kind of rhymes with with what what we saw uh recently here um you know we're, we're coming out of it seems to be that we're just you know gap up gap up gap up you know un unstopped um this was last year into early october um now now to me i'm a little bit uh tripped up on this because from a technical standpoint i also have noticed that there's a ton more correlation to vix and opex and we are after opex and we're we're, we're doing this kind of thing so let me hit fast forward on the chart. Boom, here we are, and yeah, we we have this kind of like rush to get back to all-time highs, in my opinion. And I'm I'm wondering, <laughs> that's where this is where I'm wondering. I'm wondering if what all we need to do is is trigger off, you know, um, a temporary all-time high before boom, you know, the uh, unwinding, unwinding and coming down to, to retest things so i don't know well, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm still bullish until the fed starts pulling the plug on free money like i'm i am i am uh as long as the free money taps are open I, i'm the the risk is to the bulls like it's not to the bears it's to the bulls so a lot of those like call spreads and stuff like that that's where the, a lot of the risk lies but once the fed starts going yeah you know what free money party over we're gonna we're gonna tap this up. that's when i'm gonna start being like hmm, volatility is probably gonna be sticking around for a little bit longer um then again it took from like two thousand eight to two thousand like what was it like fifteen until volatility started being like yeah I'm a thing again guys look at me. So um I, I think the risk is to the bulls still. Mm-hmm. I think earnings are gonna come out great. I don't think um Apple or Microsoft or Amazon or Tesla or Google or Facebook are gonna miss. Though Facebook and Google are definitely gonna be the um the problematic ones because they hit peak usership. I mean, you don't you don't send the whole entire world economy home for the year and not say, "Oh yeah, we got as much eyeballs as we're gonna get." Like Facebook and Google, if there were people that are gonna open those two accounts, they probably did it last year, and so they're probably gonna see a little bit of a topping out and a little bit of a reduction in userships. But they they already said that last year. They're like, "Hey guys, um, we got everyone. Like wrap up, let's go home. <laughs> like like we got it." And so those ones will probably be a little bit mixed, but I don't see Apple missing earnings. Like people still buying iPhones like crazy. I don't see people not buying office suites and stuff like that for Microsoft. Amazon was the clear winner out of COVID. Some um, it's still it's still business as usual back to the bullish side until until bonds become relevant again. And bonds aren't really relevant until the Federal Reserve says, oh yeah, we're gonna start printing like what is it like a hundred billion dollars a month. And buying treasuries and mortgage backed securities you know those two combined so mm. i still think we're going to be seeing a little bit more of a bullish action but it, you know if we finally see like a topping pattern and it comes back down we'll, we'll go from there from now but until then i'm cautiously bullish on the market
0: yeah what do you think uh what do you think you derail this? because um you know something that i'm looking at on the side uh, one of the one of the things that um that i do look at so uh, this is the uh, the subtext of that that mantra I am not a macro guy uh, except <laughs> you know my exception I've actually said this before there's only one macro that I've ever seen clear clear correlation to that's my main that's my main problem with macro guys is like oh there's a big crash coming when sometime <laughs> in the future <laughs> right but but um, the one that I'm talking about is credit markets when credit market yeah. liquidity locks up, uh, you have a very short fuse before things explode. Um, you know, on on that uh, on that that liquidity uh, liquidity liquidity bubble, I guess just poof, it's gone. Right? Um, repo markets is my favorite canary in the coal mine. So I'm going to hop over here to the browser real quick and look at repo markets. So so people have asked me in the past, they're like, how do you keep track of the repo market? Right? And as uh, my, the common refrain that I use with my family around, uh, around Thanksgiving for just about anything is Google, just Google it. <laughs> right. So I Google it, I Google repo market and look up, uh, look up the news section on Google. And, uh, here's something on, um, on Google finance, uh, bets on higher us treasury real, uh, yields are straining the dollar funding market. That just, um, uh, bets that just means, you know, higher treasury yields are making lending. Uh, more difficult in those credit markets, um, which is why, uh, you know, I was looking this morning and seeing TNX going up, and it was like, oh, is it not crashing or something? Uh, that has more an effect on the the big tech companies that the on the Qs on the Nasdaq 100, for instance, than other things. Definitely, probably has a much bigger effect on IWM on those smaller uh, companies as well, or smaller smaller cap companies um, as well. Feel free to correct me on this, Jake, because I'm I'm you not. Know, <laughs> again not really a huge macro guy um, on that stuff uh, so yeah so yeah I mean there's there's just the tiniest hint the tiniest hint that something might be you know uh, might be a amiss in the repo markets but I I agree with you uh, there's liquidity as far as I can tell seems okay so um, yeah false <laughs> false alarm on that, last on words that. yeah I mean it seems okay uh, CPI seems okay <laughs> CPI came out already I think this month and from what I could tell it's pretty much in line in line with with all estimates all estimates were already high uh not a lot of change month to month um, you know eventually as I paint this this beautiful picture of the future where everyone's in a flying car and you know everything's there's no war and flowers and and sunshine for everyone, right? <laughs> supply so eventually in that future supply issues uh resolve themselves hopefully. Um
1: we all have a replicator at that point.
0: We all have yeah, we all have <laughs> a replicator um you know <laughs> uh chicken in every pot, so to speak. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah. We, um, but dude, that, I... that's yeah, at that point I think you'd hit just uh, leveling off on um at least on pricing and everything uh for for a while who knows
1: (laughs) yeah that'd be pretty cool yeah the repo market's really interesting because once as long as free money flows and people can still give up those overnight treasuries you know things are fine but the second people like no i don't want to sell you my u.s treasuries or i don't got a treasury to give you or um i don't have a home to put it for sale that's when things get really spicy that that was actually a precursor to what happened in the market before COVID started when we we're having a huge spike in the repo market. That actually happened before COVID, before everything started shutting down. The repo market was imploding. Like I think rates went to like 16% at one point for like overnight lending.
0: Yeah, it had and a it, it had like, a blip. Oh. It had a blip where it like it suddenly went from like normal normal repo rate to like north of 10 10% all of a sudden and then uh you you hear news about the new york fed which is um it's kind of like uh, historically from what i've gathered the new york fed is is kind of the rogue arm (laughs) of the fed (laughs) you know was uh was starting to monetize or uh, provide become that liquidity provider for repo markets and they did it all the way up until um can you guess can you guess the date on this because it's i love it i love it right all the way up until february 11th 2020, and then there was oh, a. Yeah. I point to this all the time. There was a story in Bloomberg because I because I just go and I, I literally check this every couple of days, um, repo markets. There's a story in Bloomberg that says, "Hey, Fed, uh, the Fed's going to stop its overnight repo operations," and I was like, "Oh crap! Well, this is gonna yeah. this is not going to look pretty, right?" And, and sure enough, that's the that's the COVID dip. Uh, things things fly off the rails um, when the when the credit market. Um, doesn't have any money or historically, you know, going back to Bear Stearns and all that, when you have a ton of collateral and no cash. <laughs> no one's willing willing no one to provide that, nope. that money.
1: And um and what happened was people had like they're just issuing corporate bonds like crazy just to do share buybacks for the past what is it, decade. And everyone's all why would I buy a treasury? I'll just issue more corporate debt. And then all of a sudden they're like Hey, I need to facilitate my overnight lending. Um, here's some corporate bonds, and the the primary dealer are like, "Hey, man, I need a, I, I need a U.S. Treasury bond or a real estate holding. I don't need this corporate debt." And I'm like, well, uh, uh, let me go talk to Morgan Stanley. And Morgan Stanley's like, "Hey, man, I can't. I don't have any Treasuries to give you. Like, I can give you more corporate debt." And then all of a sudden, they became hugely toxic because everyone's like, uh, "I'm going to sell this corporate debt to get bond." some bonds and everyone's like well i don't want to sell you my bond and then the federal Reserve's like uh-oh uh we got an <laughs> issue on our hands here <laughs> and it it's considered the walk of shame to go to the federal reserve's um discount desk and be like hey can i can i get some bonds like i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's considered the walk of shame to go over to that desk and usually like it'll happen every once in a while but then you see like a big fish will go there and everyone's like uh-oh what is this guy doing there? Maybe he like the dude owns a lunch money or something, and then you yeah, realize he tapped yeah. into the Federal Reserve's discount rate, and you're like, oh no! And then um, the Federal Reserve, before this whole COVID dip happened, like where they're like kitchen sink everything, we're buying everything. They changed their rules, or through the first stimulus bill that happened in COVID, uh, Congress gave them the ability to buy corporate bonds and convert into Treasuries so that the the pollution in the pristine market could kind of correct itself that wasn't COVID issued at all like that wasn't a oh the economy is going to blow up we need to fix something that was the federal reserve and like hey guys um we have this issue and let's let's just sneak this through let's sneak this through and maybe no maybe uh jake won't read it this time (laughs) like and so they, they fixed the repo market there. And so now the Federal Reserve, um, they closed that facility recently. I think it was like three months ago or mm-hmm. the last big meeting. They said, hey, we're not buying corporate bonds anymore. Like, you guys need to figure this out. We have enough treasury bonds in the market to where um, the repo market should subsidize. And as you know, corporations aren't really smart when it comes to that. They're like, oh, free money, yeah, more debt. just go in more debt. Like the Fed's gonna be here, the bailouts out. It's not a problem. And then all of a sudden, the repo market got polluted again, and we're we're getting back to that cycle where they're like, we need treasury bonds, and all I got is this corporate bond. You know, six months ago, this corporate bond was good. Why don't you J.P. Morgan? Why don't you take this or bonds? Uh-huh. And they're like, no, the Federal Reserve changed the rules again. We're taking treasury debt. Uh, we're taking treasury again, and they're like, uh oh. And then I think it was six months ago that the Federal Reserve finally came out with their own bank where they actually could facilitate that change. Or I think it was like a one trillion dollar fund to where they're like, Yeah, okay, let's kind of, we're going we're gonna kinda of fix this will. So
0: Yeah. So we're still yeah. living in that uh, lender of first resort is uh is what's going <laughs> yeah. up. Right. Um yeah. I, I actually think that that comes from uh, a philosophical <laughs> failure or you know higher higher failure it's easy you know without going too far into it uh it's easy to poke holes in Milton Friedman's thing um if you if you're not are macro just people, by the way. we're not macro people uh I enjoy it so I I really do think of macro, macro is this like is this very interesting drama when you look at it historically uh, <laughs> I just finished this book uh just finished this book called Lords of Finance which is basically uh the the formation of central banks um uh like their their modern policy of central banking in um uh circa circa world war one and what the fallout was after that and then uh Keynes of course is going in oh, saying like you guys you got to get off the gold standard right now and also you can't you can't slap Germany with this insane bill that they can't <laughs> repay you're going to have problems and then everyone else in the uh, world was like whatever Keynes shut up we know better gold is king and Germany's going to pay us uh some insane um you know uh debt <laughs> um you know, post-war debt, and then we'll all be fine, and Germany will be dirt poor, and of course, you know, uh, this happened, and that happened, and boom, World War Two, <laughs> right? And then even the fallout yeah. after World War Two, more and more people were like, oh, I guess Keynes was right. Um, the you know, one of the interesting things on that is uh, Keynes definitely had his uh, his his rivals or his um, uh, detractors uh, Hayek from the Austrian school, and on the American side of the pond. Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman absolutely hated everything about Keynes, and if you look at his his philosophy even, uh, to the point where he his philosophy seems just like a, a direct repudiation. Is like, well, I just hate this guy, so I'm going to make a, a, a philosophy that's just opposite of whatever he says, just to be opposite for no reason, right? So he comes up with monetary theory. Uh, he makes a lot of weird assumptions, uh, or two assumptions that he made that have turned out to not be true. Uh, one velocity of money does matter. It's not a constant, <laughs> right? Um, and then the second one, uh, is just this assumption that banks would operate like banks, you know, going back in time, you give, uh, you give money to banks. And the idea was that banks will lend that money out, right? Cause it, cause to an economist. You know, go back to the 1940s, uh, 1950s, and economists can't uh, can't even envision a future where it's like, well, why would a bank sit on a ton of money? Why wouldn't they put yeah. it to work? That's their whole profit model, right? And of course, Friedman's Friedman's saying this in a post-depression era when there was there was a law in the books to specifically say banks can't use their money for investments. You can't use their depository money for investments. And of course that disappeared. And then, uh, banks just went, you know, ran just wild. Uh, that was also an idea. I think that was being floated around the last, around the last, uh, global financial crisis and surprise, surprise. It didn't, it didn't pass. Right. <laughs> Cause, oh. Cause they were like, no, 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 no need for that. Even though that's exactly what, what caused the problem in the first place. Um, so he didn't. He didn't imagine a world where banks would just sit on cash rather than than make a loan to a to a business or a small business or to somebody looking to to buy a house. And that's exactly what's happening today. Banks would rather sit on money <clears> than lend it out to small business or a house or business. I think Wells Fargo closed down its business uh, credit uh, department um, a few oh, a, a off, while back. It. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> And nobody wants to yeah. lend on a house right now either because they'd, they'd rather buy it and then rent it out.
1: <laughs> well, so, that in there's yeah. so much toxic housing debt right now with yeah. uh, that mortgage moratorium the oh, so next much. month. And people are like, oh, before I lose my house, I'm just going to take a loan off of it. And when I default, mm-hmm. oh, no, I have cash. And uh, they can just take the house. And Wells Fargo, Citibank, um, J.P. Morgan, they're like, nah not doing that. <laughs> also, um, the movie "It's a Wonderful Life" talked about how um, banks just loaning all their money out instead of holding reserves. So, mm-hmm. you remember in the movie, the black and white movie "It's a Wonderful Life," the bank had no money because they loaned it all out, and so the bank was going belly up. And that was what one of the guy's major problems is. It's at Jeff's house. It's at Bill's house. It's at Susan's yeah. house. So they they did that reserve living for that. Also, um, when it comes to the Treaty of Versailles the whole thing that shot germany down to start world war 2 france was like germany became a country and i took that offensively <laughs> cuz for uh, almost france's whole history they tried really hard for germany not becoming a central power they actually mm-hmm. fought numerous wars in history so germany wouldn't ratify like it wouldn't all those small states wouldn't come together become a powerful state mm. And then after the war of Crimea, you remember Crimea, that thing that uh, Russia took over a couple of years ago?
0: <laughs> Wait, when was the war of Crimea? It was like in the 1800s.
1: So okay, okay, that's okay. okay. Germany... Just
0: to make sure, I, yeah. I don't know that one. So I was like, wow. Don't so, tell me that that was literally something that happened in the last 10 years because I'll be
1: like, uh. no, no, no. <laughs> something that happened in the late 1800s and Germany mm-hmm. became a state finally. Um, and then. You know, Germany rose to power, and then they lost World War One because uh, their allies were really weak. You know, Australia, the Ottoman Empire, the Sick Man of Europe—it was called at the time. Don't don't take offense, anyone in Turkey. I'm just quoting a history, book. <laughs> Um Yeah, and after that, France was like, mm, "We should try to break apart this Germany thing. We don't really like it. Yeah. Like, we want to be the we want to be the central power here. So let's go take all their steel mills and all their farms, like." And Germany will deal with it. If not, they'll just break up like they did in the past. You know, I'm cool with the Prussia. I'm not cool with the Germany. And then um, Germany's like, "No, we're going to stay as a country. Like, we're we're not breaking up. We're going to do hyperinflation, which actually worked for them because of austerity. And then, you know, Hitler. So, so,
0: yep. Sorry, that was my
1: history lesson of the day.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, you know, Hitler came about in a. uh an impossible situation for germany you know so uh that's uh i think that's just a, a pattern of history that that repeats itself whenever you have the masses the masses and uh generally being frustrated you just need some charismatic guy to come about and you know rally them up yeah. get them all excited and, and and just uh you know foaming chomp chomping at the bit champing at the bit however you say it and uh and yeah you can do some crazy crazy stuff right um and yeah, then you end you, up with yeah you end up with nazi germany <laughs> that's essentially what happened um and then uh, you, uh,
1: you end up with germany re in like the 19 what was it 1989 and then you have germany becoming the world power in europe by being the head of um, the european union it's crazy stuff yeah. they're crazy back
0: stuff. <laughs> yeah They're back. Uh,
1: They're back. back. And that's what france that's what France really didn't want because they knew that if Germany stick around, they would be the world power there in Europe because well Germany is kind of sitting in all the good spots for when it comes to shipping and getting stuff. I mean they're the gateway into Eastern Russia or Eastern (laughs) Europe and they have all these sweet ports with a nice little beachfront property. And so France for the longest time was like, nah, nah Germany, (laughs) you're not coming to my country because you're going to become you're going to upsurp us in power and um look where, look where germany is now so it's pretty it's pretty interesting if you ever look at the scope of history because you're talking about the lords of finance so we got to yeah, go lords of, lords of finance a
0: here. uh lords of finance ends with the bretton's woods bretton woods conference which was uh where they where the formation of the imf happened and um generally did a good job in identifying like the the need. So now you know I, I would argue that there have been uh, a paucity of large wars among the superpowers anyway since World War II, primarily because you know the financial markets <laughs> existed in a way so that it's like okay, well let's settle this in the business arena, um, you know more more so than the um, the war arena. Uh, war though is is definitely more efficient for certain things which is why which is why that that china taiwan uh thing uh comes up uh you know you, you run into a um uh uh man what, what was the name uh, anyway there's a the whole paradox about uh, old power new power i want to say it's the it's that greek historian uh the or something like that um anyway it's a whole paradox named after it it's fantastic uh but, but uh, getting back to that that whole bank thing, it's like, oh, it's in Jeff's house, this house, and you know that house. Um, I'm I'm starting to wonder if there's going to be a day where I can get a home loan directly from the Fed, <laughs> right? Maybe. Or a be- or a small business loan directly from the Fed, you know, because the smaller banks are not going to see any value in it, and uh, and that was in my head anyway. Uh, the the one. You know the one kind of saving grace about uh having a bank in any way you know was the fact that they can they can create money so a lot of people don't, don't know that but fractional lending creates money in the system uh and and that money specifically can go to funding risk right um risk in the small in the small business uh form which i think is the most valuable function of a bank is is funding small business and then um you know that's my subjective opinion and then on the on the side, yeah, also helping people buy houses, you know that sort of thing. Um, yeah, if the banks, if the private industry banks aren't aren't willing to do that uh, because they have, you know, trillions of dollars to to throw around in the world markets and and um, you know, <laughs> safer safer <laughs> investments, I guess. Then uh, then yeah, that that leaves only one bank out there that's whose primary goal is not to invest in the market, even though ignoring the fact that they bought ETFs and bought, you know, Oops. corporate bonds just, uh, just a year ago.
1: And,
0: and municipalities. And, and municipal municipal sub- bonds too. Right, right. So, uh, Monty Python style, what have the Greeks done for us? You know, uh, <laughs> except for that one time where they bought bond municipal bonds. Oh, and that other time where they bought, uh, you know, corporate debt, uh, bond or uh, corporate bonds. Oh, and that one time that they, uh, inflated, uh, ETFs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Except for those times, uh, you know, they're not acting <laughs> in in yeah. a um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say morally hazardous way.
1: <laughs> so you were almost there. They were almost there to be where you can buy a home loan. They uh, did yeah, this so, initiative so the, one the, more. the mainstream. They did the mainstream bank, the Main Street initiative, where the mm-hmm. Federal Reserve said, "Hey, if you banks give these people a loan." We will take 100% of the risk, 100% of the risk. And we we have set aside, I think it was like $20 billion for this. Wow. So JP, they, they didn't do it because, you know, they don't have like an office be like, okay, Bill, you want to make a new business? Here's the paperwork you in. It. So they did it because they didn't have the facility for it. But JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, their primary dealers did, but they were, they were right there. They were pretty much saying, yeah, we'll fund small businesses. 100% yeah. we'll take the risk 100%. And you know what banks said? Was that no thank, no, thank you. We'll just hold that money
0: <laughs> on deposit with yeah. you.
1: We, we get well, more the, better returns that way. Yeah.
0: So, so the other thing, so on the, on the business sides, I should explain, uh, banks obviously just don't want to take the risk on small business. Um, on the housing side, it's not attractive because, you know, your, your interest rates are historical all time lows and they just keep on going lower and lower and lower over time. So there's no, there's no, you know, there's no incentive there's no for banks to go, yeah. there's no margin. There's no, there's, it's just a losing, it's just, it's just a loss. There's no reason to, to do it, to, to finance it. Um, especially when you could just buy the house and the house appreciates far faster than you get a return on your APR or whatever per year. Yeah. Why, why even bother with it? Right. And, uh, and it's surprising. Yeah. I didn't know that the fed did that, it, that they were willing to put up uh, one-tenth of an Elon Musk to help buy <laughs> houses. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> well, They told people on small business loans, like, hey, th- there's no risk here. It's 100% free money. These people default. We pay for it plus the interest. We mm-hmm. we will pay for it. And the banks were like, <laughs> no, that's too much risk for us. And the Federal Reserve's like, you're going to do this. And the bank said, no, we're not going to do that. And they they caved on it. And so they transferred that money to something – or. Congress clawed that money back from the Fed because no one was utilizing it, but it was called the Main Street program, and they just, the banks are like, no, that's too much risk, for us. and you're like, well, there was zero risk because the Federal Reserve was going to subsidize it, and if, <laughs> if that would have taken, if that would have taken off, it probably would have transferred into like, oh, you want a home loan? Yeah, the, the Federal Reserve will 100, 100 percent just subsidize that loan, and if it goes wrong, well, now the government owns the house. And now we just reclaim that land to the business management. And you know, uh, you know how well that goes for the world. <laughs> so,
0: well, Jake, but we're, uh, we're... I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to have to call, call time on it. <laughs> uh, this is just because uh, normally this is an hour long show. And I looked at my watch in an hour. And I was like, oh man, I'm having so much fun. I just don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to like <laughs> stop the conversation. Um, so that just tells me that we got to have you on again. You got to come on again. And, you know, I I think that uh, the the best thing for that is just to realize that you know kids these days have it easy, you know, um, and, uh, and and really some some more character building is what's needed. Maybe you like dropping them off uh, on the side of the highway or something um, in the middle of nowhere, and just say, hey, you know, look at where the uh, look at where the stars are in the sky <laughs> to navigate i'm going to give you some clues the sun rises in the in the uh east and sets in the west and uh i hope you paid attention to the number of lefts and rights that that uh dad made and i'll see you tomorrow and then you know you'll you'll have some free time we can uh chat about the market <laughs> <laughs> the market in china and all that good stuff here um <laughs> but i'll I'll uh will get day. with you on that on your schedule uh outside of the uh uh, the breakout show, uh, until then, uh, everyone in the chat, thanks so much, uh, you know, awesome, uh, awesome involvement here in the chat, uh, talking about, uh, Costco, talking about, um, repo markets, uh, Lenny has just this collection, encyclopedic collection of, of all these like stats, which I always love, um, we're going to do another show, of course, on Friday, I uh, haven't figured it out exactly yet, uh, you know, what's what's ha- going to happen with that. But we usually fly by the seat of our pants here anyway. So join us again this Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. And until then, everyone, trade safe.